This is Works in Progress, a podcast from the UCLA School of the Arts and Architecture. I'm Avishai Artsy. The arts are right in the heart of a response to crisis. The arts are always there at the flashpoint. This is Peter Sellers, a theater director, MacArthur Fellow, and distinguished professor at UCLA in the Department of World Arts and Culture's Dance. He's taught here since 1988. We talked today after the city and county of Los Angeles and the state of California adopted more stringent policies to combat the coronavirus pandemic. The plan was to meet at his house and talk to each other in his living room lined with bookshelves from the supposedly safe distance of six feet apart. The visit could hardly be defined as an essential trip, but it felt essential to hear from Peter. So we connected by phone and he gave me his general take on what everyone around the world is going through. This virus has actually brought everything to the life-or-death place where we have been poised for a while. We have a, a horrifying gift, which is that this is a real dress rehearsal for a concerted global response to the climate emergency. The news about the climate emergency still just didn't carry a human face. You know, it didn't register with people that, you know, three degrees of of warming means that we have no more Venice and no more Rio and no more Shanghai and no more Los Angeles. Suddenly, the virus has put a human face on the ecological urgency of not living in a way that is... uh, violating the actual laws and nature of the planet. So one of the first things that's astounding in the last two weeks is to see a concerted international effort to do all the things that people said couldn't be done. And they're really happening. So uh, let's uh, hope that this moment of separating ourselves and retreating and stepping back into our homes isn't just about quarantine, but it's also about introspection. It's also about self-examination. It's also about finding ourselves again and touching real values and finding the basic threads of life that do connect us. So it's a very incredible moment to reinvent civilization. What would it mean if we were living in a way that was ecologically made sense? And I think that's not just a science question. It's not about the scientists, and it's not just a business question, because business has frequently come up with the wrong answer again and again. It's a cultural question. And this is where I think we need cultural thinkers and doers to really step forward and to create working models, working examples of new sets of relationships, new types of shared and collaborative projects, and new ways of making a different kind of footprint on the earth. I think here in Los Angeles, it's just already amazing this last week of having a such a reduction of the CO2 pollution and the air quality is truly astounding. 
and you begin to get, you know, that we could really take this much farther and we don't need thousands of people dying to do it. And nonetheless, I think it's the thousands of people dying that has created a sobering moment to say, you know, we just actually have to pull off the highway and stop because we took the wrong turn and we have to go back and we have to take a different turn. And uh, that's a that's a serious, serious project. But you can feel um, people are motivated to engage it. So I'm sorry, that's a long answer, right? But I guess it's like like all of us, we all have cabin fever. So just the, the first hint of a conversation means you just want to pour all this stuff out. <laughs> Peter Sellers and I spoke after what has been a strange week, the first week that most of us worked or studied from home. The shock of self-quarantine has begun to sink in. Gone are our coworkers or classmates, except for on our screens. Most of us have only interacted with family members or roommates unless we had to make an emergency trip out of the house or unless we work somewhere that's still open. It's been weird. Our government has struggled to keep up with the growing pandemic, Hospitals are running out of basic supplies. Meanwhile, NBA players are getting tested for coronavirus without even showing symptoms, while states are scrambling to produce enough tests for those that are actually sick. And people who rely on their jobs to have health insurance are suddenly finding themselves unemployed and uninsured. It sparked a real conversation about economic and social inequity, and that's at the heart of Peter Sellers' work. His operas, plays, and films are often described as controversial and edgy and deliver moral and social commentary in unexpected ways. He stages classic operas like The Marriage of Figaro and Don Giovanni, but presents them in radically different settings. A diner on Cape Cod, a luxury apartment in New York City's Trump Tower, a blaxploitation movie set in Spanish Harlem, and even outer space. I asked him what role the arts should have in this current crisis. The arts are right in the heart of a response to crisis. The arts are always there at the flashpoint. They're always there at the trigger point. Uh, and they're always there with a sense, first of all, that you're not alone. Most of what we're facing, truly alone and imagining ourselves as alone. And the arts are just a statement of nobody's actually alone ever. And the very thing you thought you're the only person who ever thought, well, of course, you read a book and you realize, all oh, right, somebody else has thought this and been through this. And you hear a piece of music and you know, oh my God, someone had those feelings. And you're not alone. Step one, you're not alone. And step two, because we're not alone, we have to act towards each other with a certain level of understanding and generosity and imagination. What is a better way we could be living? What would be more fulfilling? What would that look like? What would that feel like? And the arts are all about keeping that space open and alive. What does it mean to not flee, but to actually recenter yourself with the things you most deeply believe and the ways in which you understand things most deeply? What helps you get to your own 
deepest idea of your own deepest idea is to be in dialogue with Toni Morrison, to be in dialogue with somebody who just spent all day thinking about those things and then writing them, who spent all day thinking about those things and then painting them, who spent all day thinking about those things and made a film. That's the kind of inner space we need, the recovery space, the space of recuperation, where we're not just running, we're not just fleeing, we're not just reacting, but you get past the cycle of reaction into the cycle of how do we now move forward in a meaningful, healing way. But do you think artists need to be responding to this moment in the work that they're creating right now? Would you like to see a movement that oh, yeah. responds to this moment? Well, I think we are. So many communities are engaged in projects that truly it takes uh, an artist to imagine and to, to put forward. I've been talking a lot with the Congolese artist Faustin Linyakula, who is creating as an art project a way to get uh, potable water to 1,000 people on the left bank of the Congo River in Kisangani uh, in eastern Congo. Um, and the government, you know, is incapable of making those steps. And as soon as clean water is a community art project, everybody comes together and uh, there's clean water for 1,000 people now. And then that begins to set up a model that can be replicated and can be extended. What we do as artists is put people back into the center of their own lives. And that's, that's very exciting. And at the same time, we have a, a strange and beautiful moment in human history where we have all this online capability. And we do have ways of maintaining contact across spatial distance and of consolidation and solidarity and community building that is not just about sharing the same geography, but online. So many initiatives now are able to move forward and have to move forward because people are sitting at home and have time on their hands. And time on their hands is just the biggest gift in the world because, of course, what we've been doing is running around madly. Everybody way too busy. Nobody able to finish their own sentence and jumping from item to item. So suddenly to have that gift of time is amazing. And while the medical teams are also being given some kind of gift of time by slowing down, hopefully, this process of contagion, the whole society, hopefully, I think, is beginning to breathe. I think after reacting to the horror of everything, then to just stop and with your second and third breath, notice your breathing. And notice, like the planet, you're breathing differently at the moment. That's, uh, that's super powerful. Peter, it sounds like what you're hoping for is a real global shift in consciousness, a renewed vigor in taking on real structural issues and failures to address pressing problems like climate change and poverty and war. Do you think that's likely to happen? Or do you think people will just want to go back to exactly the way things were a month ago? 
you know, uh, in my line of work, uh, what changes the world is never what's likely. <laughs> is it likely that Nelson Mandela would become the next president of South Africa? Absolutely not. Did Nelson Mandela becoming president of South Africa make a significant change in the world? Yes. You know, we know very well from the history of art is like a handful of artists in the Italian Renaissance who knew each other. I mean, literally a handful of people changed the history of art. What? <laughs> what is it about the, the zip code in Florence, the, the, the drinking water? Who knows? But I'm just saying what's cool about the example of the history of art is huge shifts are possible generated by small groups of committed people. And that is the reality of history. And, uh, and, and we're just so used to entrusting our history to corporations and to large structures. And large structures don't really have the best track record necessarily. <laughs> and meanwhile, other types of gatherings and structures and shared ways of understanding and kind of incipient communities have incredible life force and enduring power. You know, a lot of people are turning to art in this challenging moment for solace, perhaps to escape the reality. Does that run contrary to how you think of your work? Well, you know, human beings become powerful when they concentrate and are disempowered when they're distracted, freaked out and jumping from thought to thought. And, you know, any spiritual tradition is just about what does it take to create focus? instead of distraction. And so right now, I mean, the, the gift of, of time, right, that we've been given at this moment, what does it mean to actually take the time to do something you, you know you need to do and you haven't done? And, and for me, I always have a, a basic rule is, you know, the most important things in your life are everything you have not had time to do. And that's how you know what the important things are. So for me, it's, you know, one of the astounding pleasures is talking to someone who you were close to and you haven't talked to in 10 years. Reconnecting, just finding, you know, some basic, basic foundational things in your life again and deepening them and refreshing them. And that sometimes, obviously, a piece of music is, can unlock so many things and a piece of music that's moved through your life in a certain way. And yes, we don't usually have that time to read that we're not just snatching between things, but actually to have the time to read spaciously and thoroughly and, and thoughtfully, that's a extraordinary gift. And in this, we're really joining our ancestors of not that many generations ago when in fact, human beings had time and a lot of it. And you could either be bored or you could go deeper. And, and of course, what literature, what a certain type of music and what a certain type of art meant to people when they have just so much time stretching in front of them is very different than our last, you know, couple generations of fast track living. I just have a feeling so many things in, in us are so tightly wound up. We are so wound up. And what does it mean to gradually unwind and gradually relax and gradually breathe and gradually take that spaciousness into ourselves 
Of course, there's certain art that is really helpful in that process and that is about long-term development and a kind of lived wisdom. One of my favorite art forms is the Indian vocal tradition of Drupad, which is uh, ancient Vedic singing on just syllables, no words, because for the uh, for the Hindus, the words are incredibly imprecise. And in fact, the healing energy comes through the vowels and the, the pure energy of the vocal. And uh, this is a great time for Drupad music, <laughs> for just this incredible chanting that, that moves in a very intimate, intimate and powerful way, uh, right to the core of the body and right to the, the center of the mind. I think one of the most important things is just to get out of the media frenzy. And so for me, art practice and meditation practice that calms the body and that calms the mind are priority practices right now. I want to ask you a little bit about your work and how you're going to be making your work during this time. Um, how does theater or opera function in a socially distanced moment? You need bodies on a stage. You need bodies in an audience, uh, in, you know, in the seats. How do you continue working? Or do you think theater might take a different form for the time being? What's really uh, inspiring is people in one room sharing the actual space and sharing each other's breath. There's nothing more amazing than that. And that is one of the reasons why performance was invented. But that doesn't have to be the only way it's understood. For me right now, there are so many amazing online initiatives and possibilities going on. And I think that will just really proliferate in this next period. I mean, the generation that will be formed by what we're going through this week is going to have a whole different set of responses to that. And I'm ready. I think constraints can often lead to an incredible burst of creativity. Well, I mean, basically, that is the definition of art is, you know, creativity is based on limitation. It's not an accident that, you know, most of the greatest art, you know, comes from the most painful periods in human history, when people really had to face difficulty and scarcity. And again, the urgent questions simply became way more urgent. And I think we're there. I know that you kind of work in a more global realm, but there are a lot of 99-seat theaters and experimental theater companies. I'm thinking about Yuval Sharon's company, The Industry, that just opened a new opera, and now they're forced to close. And a lot of these companies are going to be really financially devastated because of the coronavirus pandemic. And I wonder if you see a path forward for these performing arts venues that need to pay the rent and they can't put shows on. Well, I know there are some initiatives of, as it were, floating bond measures to keep restaurants alive. You know, I think we all have to come up with strategies to keep alive things that we cherish and we don't want to lose in a period where they could be lost, which is what a plague period is. 
and how you keep something alive during a fragile period. It's not just human beings. It is theater companies. It is museums. It's, you know, a cultural treasury that you want to keep alive and, and moving. So I think it's also, though, that theater companies do have to find a new set of strategies, which will lead to something, I think, really powerful. Because theater itself, you know, has over and over again gotten stuck in certain types of shapes and forms. And what is it if we lose those? And can we imagine another set of human relationships and possibilities and spaces? And so for me, one of the most, you know, moving forms that I come back to over and over again is the Japanese no drama, which takes place, you know, at the edge of the water uh, with a stage built out into the tide. And and the audience, you know, on the shoreline, while the clouds are moving, while the birds are coming, while the tide moves in and out, while the little land crabs appear and disappear, and while the deer graze. And I love California because we are here with the presence of nature. And what does it mean to include that in our performances and include ourselves as humans in our image of the landscape? Um, that, that to me is a, is an opening that I hope we take and, and take as far as we can. I felt like I needed to ask that question because there are a lot of people in local theater and opera that are freaking out right now. And so it's important to address that. Oh no. And, and, you know, but again, first stage is essential, which is freak out. Right. <laughs> Second stage is what do we do? <laughs> you got to get through the freak out first. <laughs> yeah. But you know, just don't spend all that time in the first stage. <laughs> I think that's the lesson of art. <laughs> that was Peter Sellers theater director and distinguished professor at UCLA's Department of World Arts and Culture's Dance. I'm Avishai Artsy, and this is Works in Progress, a production of the UCLA School of the Arts and Architecture. Our music is composed by Austin Danson. The Drupod music you heard is by the Gundecha Brothers. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at UCLA Arts. Email us at worksinprogress at arts.ucla.edu. Or send us a voice memo with your thoughts. Let us know how you're doing, what you're reading, listening to, watching, cooking, whatever's getting you through this period of time. Stay tuned for more stories about how the UCLA arts community is weathering the coronavirus pandemic. And stay safe out there.